All right, everyone. <clears throat> we are recording. Good evening. This is You just muted yourself. Thank you so much, Paul. Greetings, everyone. This is Colin Jessica Hyphen Marie Colin Carney, and I am your postmaster's basic host for the evening. And Carol is asking if we will be recording, and the answer is for the yes. So thanks for that query. How's everyone doing tonight? Um, it's it's an honor to be here with you. I'm excited and I'm thrilled for our guest this evening, and it's one of my favorite topics. And so our theme for the evening is to break it down. So tonight we're going to break it down and we're going to talk um, on the topic of par se. So in this venue, we have the correct sentence structure, communication, par se syntax, grammar, performance, and we're going to be breaking it down, in particular a sentence into its grammatical parts and talking about par se and how those parts relate to each other. And we'll also look at no contract phrases. We'll break it down, a word into syllables, and why does this matter? And use this knowledge to become aware of the tricks and traps in our language so you can begin to train your mind or, or advance yourself to use this knowledge and build awareness in the language around us. Um, give me a thumbs up if this is your first time on the basic live stream. So give me a thumbs up if this is your first time here. Hey, Joy says she's still learning punctuation. We all are, Joy. We're right there with you. All right. How about if you have a claim of the life, give me an emoji of your choice. All right. We have some first timers. Nice to see you here. If you have your claim of the life, if you could give me an emoji as well. Wonderful. Got some claimants in the house. All right. Annette's asking if there's any other Kiwis here. Put a Kiwi in if there's a Kiwi, if you're from the territory of New Zealand. <laughs> All right, looks like we've got another one there, Annette. Thank you so much for joining this live stream this evening. This is Colin Jessica Hyphen Marie Colin Carney. It's an honor to be here with all of you. If you are learning of the syntax, if you're in the middle, beginning, end, or you know, already working with the tutor or the learning center, if you could give us an emoji and and let us know if you can syntax or you're you're in the middle of learning or in the process of learning to syntax, give me an emoji there too, please. All right. Loving these emojis. In the middle. Excellent. Carol's in the middle. We've got some people starting. We've got some Aussies in the house. All right, everyone. Thanks for your participation. If you're curious about the claim of the life um, in this venue, just continue to stick right here with us in the Postmaster's Basic. We hope to bring you closure on the venue and to guide you down the path of facts, down the path of correctness, and what it means to be a sovereign postmaster in joinder with colon Russell hyphen J colon Gould, postmaster hyphen general of our world. You might hear that word sovereign becoming more mainstream or popular now, so it's it's um, important, it's keen for us to have um, our our sovereign radar <laughs> as sharp as we can to make sure that we know the difference and what it really does mean to be in joinder um, with our postmaster hyphen general and with your claim of the life. So our goal is to make sure that we provide you with that knowledge and closure that you need. And speaking of Colin Russell hyphen J Colin Gould, and before we open up the call, I just want to offer my gratitude of the Commander in Chief and Postmaster hyphen General of our world, Colin Russell hyphen J Colin Gould. Here's to his valor and sacrifices made in taking a stand to create solutions for us to help us safeguard ourselves and our families in the face of this tyranny. So let's let's give some emojis and some hat tips off to the Chief too to get us started for tonight. Yay, thank you, Chief. Much gratitude. Let's see some gratitude. All right. Thank you, everyone. 
feeling the love. <laughs> if you are having problems and joining, if it just says connecting, you might want to reboot the app or try a different device. Um, I find success on the phone um, sometimes better than the than the laptop. So try to um, close out of Telegram and come back in. All right. Thank you, everyone. Feeling the love tonight. Thank you for um, for your communication in the chat. The chat is open, and I will do my best to monitor this and to get to all of your queries. So if I miss a query, you're welcome to repost it because I am scrolling through the chat. Um, but it would probably be best to pause a minute on any of your queries, and let's get some of the heart of what we're going to speak about this evening and get through that, and then we can take the majority of the queries at the end of the, of the call. And I do have a very special guest with us tonight, and we're going to talk about, as I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite topics, the grammar, and not just any grammar, but the correct sentence structure, communication, parse, syntax, grammar, performance, and we're going to focus on parse. And um, before we get to that first question with Paul, I just want to make a point in case you know, and for some of us who do know this, this will be a good memory reminder. Um, keep in mind that no law or fact shall be tried in court. And we've all been under that the usury of the adverb verb modification language for void of our contracts. And that's why it's important to learn these tricks. So just keep that in mind. And you'll start to make these connections to what Chief has done and how it's thrown a wrench into this whole negative language grammar, negative construct, and these void contracts that we've had from birth, from cradle to grave. So just keep that in mind as you're learning these things about the facts and how no law or fact shall be tried in court. So jumping back to our first topic of parse, and the definition, uh, there's many definitions out there, meanings of the word, but essentially what parse means is breaking down a sentence into its grammatical parts and identifying those parts and those relation the relation to each other. So Paul, I have my first question of the evening. Why do the parts, of a, do the parts of a sentence matter? Well, when when we're looking at communication with people, like Pharaoh 8,500 years ago said something like, as it is written, so shall it be done. It's basically because during his trade reps, there are so many different languages, and, and he was kind of like at that time the postmaster general of our world, if you will. He was in charge of all the shipping routes. There were so many different languages that, I mean, you know, you had to know a lot of different languages in order to be able to communicate. And, you know, translations are what they are. Lots of wars could happen over grammatical problems of not comprehending the words. So basically, when you break language down into a structured format, uh, and you put it, you know, you're putting it all in writing. What we find when we contract is that uh, contract controls, uh, grammar controls all contract, but uh, sorry, contract controls all the things that we do in the world. It controls commerce, but grammar controls the contract. So when we look at the different parts of a speech in a sentence, when we look at the definition of parse, we, we see about the words placement within the structure. And that's what it is. It's to resolve a sentence into its elements, showing the several parts of the speech, depending on where those words are placed within the structure. So the different parts of the speech that we have would have different types of meaning and, and give us different thought forms in our head. So and it really depends upon the sequence in which we write these words down, such as in an English sentence, we're supposed to have three words in a particular sequence in order to be able to create a noun, and that's called a prepositional phrase. And if we don't use a prepositional phrase, by the rules of grammar, we don't have any nouns in our sentences. And if we don't have any nouns, we don't have any facts. And then as you so aptly mentioned, that um, no law or fact shall be tried in court. And that's where we run, run into a lot of court type of problems is because there are no facts in court, depending upon the grammar that's used. Yeah, so we actually get quite a bit of, uh, of data from the sentences. We, we can know what the verb is. We can know what the noun is. We can know all the different parts of the speech just by looking at the sentence and reconstructing it or, or deconstructing it or labeling it as its different 
part of speech. And that's, that's par se. So you mentioned uh, three words to create a noun, correct? That's right. Yeah. In order to create a noun, what we need are, it's something that's called a prepositional phrase. So in order to have a prepositional phrase, we need the three word structure. The first word is the preposition. And then there's an article. And then there's a noun. So for instance, if we had a sentence for the law or in our law, the word for our law, for is the preposition. And it starts off a prepositional phrase by saying what position, the relation that one has to the right that's about to be discussed. And then, so it gives your position uh, to the noun. And then it also talks about the article, which is the second word, which would be the. And then the third word would be the noun or the law. Law is a noun. But when you don't put either the preposition or the article into place in its correct place, in its correct place, we would never say something like the for law. <laughs> yeah. So we would say for the law. It has to be in its correct place, in its correct position, in the right spot, and then we have our noun. And without that, when we, we use one without the other, then we start modifying. We get into modification grammar, and that's when a preposition or an article is no longer that type of word, but it changes its type. It changes its part of speech. And we have, oh, well, we have the, the eight parts of speech that maybe you know or don't know, but it, there's nouns, pronouns, verb, adverbs, adjectives, prepositions, conjunctions, and intersections, interjections. And uh, so basically when we, we use the correct methods of, of contracting and writing nouns, then we can have verbs that act upon things. That they, there are performances that we can truly see, and they make a contract valid. So that way, we, um, all of these contracts could potentially be translated to other languages and things like that, which makes it a lot easier when you're dealing in multiple languages. So keeping the construct in its in its pure form is is paramount to not creating wars and to creating correct contracts. I like what you said about not creating wars. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that some of the, uh, Russell had former partners and, and stuff before, and one of his former partners always mentioned that uh, no country ever went to war over a math problem. And that's because we have orders of operations in math problems. We do this thing first, that thing first, and that thing first. Well, we also have rules of grammar. And when we do these rules of grammar, then we're creating good, clean contract. But there's so many different problems with language these days. So many of the languages have been bastardized and, you know, we, we can change words and, you know, we come up with our own words like y'all and things like that, which are, are cool to say, but you can't really use them in contract because they don't really carry forward meanings. We have to have, say, a dictionary or, or we have to define our words or use our word terms. So we need to be concise in how we put all of this together and how our contracts form and how our sentences form and how we follow rules of grammar. You mentioned the order of operations. Order of operations. Uh, would you mind muting what I'm talking to? There we go. It's just some echo there. there. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Um, you mentioned the order of operations and with regards to sentence and sentence structure. Um, can you talk about why that's important? I hope we didn't lose you, Paul. Can you hear me? There no, you go. You're just trying to grab my mouse again and get back on board. Okay. Um, orders, order of operations. Let's let's start with with math first. It kind of makes a little bit of sense this way, I think. Is that when we do an order of operations, and, and we'll often hear the mathematical questions being asked, such as. Um, what does four plus four divided by four equal? So a lot of people go four plus four equals 16 divided by four equals four. However, the order of operations in mathematics, mathematics says we do the brackets and then addition uh, brackets, exponentiation. Uh, then we do uh, 
multiplication, division, then addition, subtraction. So we would have to do the last part of that equation first. We have to do <clears throat> we have to do the four divided by four, which is one. So we get that four plus one equals five. And that makes sense in a mathematical construct. And that's what we're trying to do is make sense of an equation. Well, a sentence is nothing more than an equation using letters that causes a meaning to enter one's mind. So if we, if we liken using correct grammar, like a prepositional phrase, and we put that in the correct spot, within a sentence, we have to start our sentences with a prepositional phrase in order for the rules of grammar to apply to the whole sentence. But we must continue prepositional phrases throughout in order to continue the use of nouns. And then, of course, we can't put verbs at the end of sentences because a verb needs a noun to act upon. So a verb has to kind of be somewhere inside of the sentence in its strategic location in order to be acted upon with something on both sides. So there's, when we look at the correct sentence structure, communication, parser, syntax, grammar, and we have like, the, let's say we have a, a specific document called uh, for the sentence structure terms. It breaks down a correct sentence structure into its various aspects. It's, it's different parts that need to come in a specific sequence in order to form fact phrases. And our, our fact phrasing, when we're talking about, when we go back and syntax our correct grammar structures, our, our quantum grammar contracts, we, we want to verify that those are done correct as well, so we can syntax those too. We're not always trying to perform, you know, checking fraud, but we always want, we also want to perform checking correctness to verify that we're correct. So when we overlay syntaxing on correct structured sentences, we're going to have at first, the first fact we create is a cause. The second fact is a consequence. And then we're going to have a verb that's inside of that. It's a verb of thinking, like the, the word is or are. And it's only going to be those two. And then after that is or are, the verb of thinking, we're going to have a couple more facts that are created, known as a possessive. And then, you know, we're phrased different types of terms along with that. And then we have the, the authorization, or the authority that comes last in that. And when we hold that structure, we can see that the sentence has flow and it actually kind of rings a bit like a poem. I'm, I've even started writing some quantum poetry a little bit here and there some months back because it gets me in that, that rhythm. And when we kind of get that rhythm going, there's a flow to the thought forms. When you comprehend what a cause is, what the consequence is, why those things are where they are, the thought sequences formulate into these solid facts that are no longer mutable these thought forms that are verifiable and mathematically certifiable, frontwards and backwards, in order to verify that our sentence can make sense in all directions. You know, so going, com coming and going, if you will. And so that basically gives us the opportunity to completely see falsifications in grammar, fraudulent constructs, and various other tools just in our mind. Because then we, when we start reading these correct sentence structure communication sentences that we put together and, and, and we parse those and they come up correct. We're going to note that when we start going back to read fiction, like the books that we're into and all that stuff, I, I giggle a lot because of how these authors use their grammar. And I'm saying, oh goodness, they used a dynamic participle verb there. Uh, they, they used um, a verb that they thought was a noun in place of a verb. Uh, you know, all kinds of strange things that you get to see and giggle about. And it's very poetic when we listen to prose and poetry and contracts of the day, but it's not very accurate or concise when we, when we try to use it in contracts that, you know, we're not supposed to be causing problems, but we always have problems now because the contracts we have in today's day and age are crap. The grammar is crap and the grammar cannot control that contract. That's why correct grammar and this venue are just so important to help straighten out what we're doing because we're in contract whether we know it or not. You, know, you turn on your light switch and you're paying a hydro bill or whatever, your power bill, there's a contract for you to have that type of thing in commerce. And there's commercial contracts in place for us to have this meeting, you know, to be able to chat on our cell phones or be on our computers and all that sort of stuff. 
And that's unfortunately all been written in stuff that doesn't make good grammatical sense. Or I concur. And there's reasons for that, right? There's tricks and traps and there's usury and there's slavery and all of that that we are breaking free from thanks to this technology. Um, I like this phrase. I, it's new to me as far as the past few years of learning what subjective interpretation is. And this goes back to, you know, the no law or fact tried in court, our order of operations, tying in the correct sentence structure and having your cause, consequence, the verb of the thinking, and your possession and authority. And when we think about subjective interpretation and how our spell casting words, they can have the same spelling but different sounds and meanings. Think about that. I want to have a little bit of fun with some samples. And Paul, you, you'll probably recognize these. <laughs> these should look familiar. So I'm going to paste one in the chat. And this will be a great, ex a great sample of subjective interpretation. Paul, would you like to read that one out loud so we can hear it? Sure. Uh, to help with planting, the farmer taught his sow to sow. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I'd love to see a sow sow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'd love to see a sow so S-E-W as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so funny when we started looking at these. There, there's a page full of these things that have been passed around uh, where these words all, all come in, all these different word play. And, and oh, my God, it's just, it, you know, a, a sow that can sow is very interesting. But English is just so manipulated that it changes how we how we view things so we need to know that certain words are spelled the same but are pronounced differently like sow and so uh, like wound and wound w-o-n-d so uh, produce produce you know uh, polish and polish uh, so many of them uh, on and on and on and then we have words that are spelled a little different and, and they sound the same like um almost the same like desert and mm -hmm. dessert <laughs> or you know um desert and desert or dessert and yeah I, I can't even think of a couple of those right off the bat which ones kind of sound the same like i just said so s-e-w and so s-l-w so i mean it's, it can be very confusing and when we start breaking the structure when we don't use uh, our, 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 um, our prepositional phrases to, to cause these things to be nouns Sometimes we lose what the word is that we're trying to say. Like um, a bass, like as a fish. A bass was painted on the head of a bass drum, B-A-S-S. -S. There's also a bass guitar, B-A-S-S, -S, right? But it's bass. So how would we know if we're not talking about a bass, as in a bass guitar? A bass was painted on the head of a bass drum. Well, it's because we have to figure it out in context. And can you imagine how confusing that might be to someone who doesn't have English as a first language, who might not even have English as a second language, and who might just be needing to learn to translate a contract or just know something, where these, these minor things is when you put it into a contract, when you go into things like creating corporate structures like Canada or the United States of America or those types of fiction corporate national structures, if we don't get the wording right, then like the banking contracts, the banking contract is poof, it's gone, it's done. I mean, this is what we're basing commerce upon. And then our war contracts, for instance, you know, well, we're gonna go to war if this, that, or the other thing happens, or you know, we won't go to war if we don't have to do this, that, or the other. But when we don't know what those words are and which version of it, we have to assume by context. And assuming is that's where that subjective interpretation comes into play. And we're saying, well, gee, you know, I think it's this. And that's what we run into when we get up in front of those people with the black robes, those bad actors called, sometimes called judges, but they're on a different plane, so we can't really see them. And there's tricks and traps of the courts and all that stuff, because those actors are in a box and the clerk is in a box and the witnesses are in a box and anything in a box can't be seen or heard. So 
when subjective interpretation comes and that judge is sitting up in a box and they're holding a piece of paper that has no viable contracts on it because it's using wrong grammar then and you're in a feudal system where there's two sides one guy's arguing one thing and one one side's arguing the other thing that gives subject matter we're arguing over who gets the baby but what is a baby what is a baby a baby <laughs> when you look at that sentence i just said a baby is an adverb verb the word baby is being used as a verb in that sentence i just said so if a judge is looking at that and says baby is that last word after an adverb they're saying well what does baby mean as a verb well i'm just going to have to interpret that myself since these two parties showed up before me and asked me with their words to contract and settle their dispute their dispute their no pute Okay, so we'll get into the other stuff like that. But that's where that subjective interpretation comes. When you don't have a viable contract, you don't have the nouns in your contract, there's no facts, the subject matter is blurred, you don't really know because, you know, no fact or law or no law or fact shall be tried in court. That's all you have is interpretation. Nothing more. It's just somebody's no opinion. No, and it, it really makes you think about the contracts that you have in usury that we're all enjoined or with in the fiction. What are they saying? Who has subject matter jurisdiction? Who's going to have the final say when is an insurance, which is no insurance, insurance claim? And, you know, think about your, your employers and, and all of those places where you place your name on contract and and the the connotation behind it with the negative context it's it's fascinating when you think about it there's no accountability and accountability is important people don't like it <laughs> bad guys don't like accountability um, but it's necessary for us as sovereigns to protect yourself from that subjective interpretation you can't jump into the mind of the the author of that sentence or of that contract with the facts as the facts the facts are always the facts and they do matter so being a, a quantum grammar sovereign or sovereign in this venue, you are able to protect yourself and run your world for yourself. There's no one that can give that subjective interpretation authority over you and make those choices over you. If it's, you know, if you think of um, samples of judges or other attorneys where you are signing your rights over to others, maybe doctors also, um, thinking about important places where you'd have contract as a sovereign, you take subject matter jurisdiction over those contracts. And so having your claim of the life is the first step. And then you get into the venue and learn uh, postal mechanics and learn how to syntax. And then you really become very powerful in being able to state claims and syntax anything that the fiction would throw at you. So that's um, a whole nother topic that we could cover on, an, on another live stream that we've covered in the past of learning to syntax. And Paul is um, an authorized syntax teacher. So if you're interested in that, you can check on the For the Claim of the Life website and take a look there in the um, public domain and see who the authorized syntax teachers are. Um, but tonight we're talking about parse, and I want to continue. Um, I just want to say, too, I've been following in the chat, and I know you guys are making some jokes on speeding and things like that, but... Um, let's try to stick to this topic of parse just to keep the flow and the energy going. Um, the next part of parse that I want to talk about, Paul, is breaking the words down. And we talked about the sentence and the grammatical, uh, the grammatical parts of those sentences or the sentence and the order of operations and why that matters. And now let's look at the words themselves and break them down into syllables. And I'd love for us to start to think about these no contract syllables and these phrases. So then you could start to cognize what those are and then begin to rewire your brain into the positive. So we'll give some samples of what some of the no contract words are and what their um, positive counterpart would be. And so if you think about the paradigms going on in the world, in your brain, you have the negative contract and then you have the positive, <laughs> the volition on the right. Um, if you're putting them kind of in a, you know, left, leftward is the negative equals the, the positive on the right. So let's talk about the first scenario. I'm going to go ahead and put this in the chat of what that looks like for no contract um, formula or no contract words. 
So this first combination looks like this. And Paul, I will turn this over to you. If you could give us um, samples of this, we'll put those in the chat and then just talk about this vowel consonant consonant combination and, and why that's a negative context or negative no contract word. Okay, sure. So um, just taking a look here at which one you put in there, vowel, consonant, and consonant. Okay, that's the first one we're looking at then. So when we're looking at vowels, consonants, consonants, prefixes, syllables, uh, these types of things, um, there's there's actually, uh, from what I, I get to read on the internet, there's, there's several different ways, seven different types of syllables uh, that we have. There's like closed syllables that end in a, in a consonant, like the word hat. And then there's like VCE syllables where there's like a silent E on the end, like the word hate. So it changes the sound and the meaning of the word just by adding a letter on the end. Okay, it doesn't change the number of syllables, <clears throat> but it could when it's buried inside of words. So there's open syllables and there's there's consonant L, um, LE syllables, uh, vowel team syllables, there's R controlled syllables, different types of things like that. I won't get into all the, all, all the, what all those different types of things are. But typically when we're looking at syllables, it's it's the single pronunciation point. Kind of like when you're when you're clapping and you go par se and you do that, okay? So you get that that P-A-R sound par, and you get that say S-E at the end of it. Those are that's a two-syllable word. So when we start putting words together, and, and Webster, he kind of put together one of those original <laughs> dictionaries. Um, Sir Webster, I don't forget who he was. He was a Brit back in the day, whatever he came over and he had to put a dictionary together anyways. And, and he started putting things together from, from foreign languages, adding things onto English. Now, English wasn't a language of its own. Uh, it's, it's a derelict language that was created from, uh, from, from the Anglos of the Anglos and Saxons and, and the Germanic company, the Germanic people who went to England and they took over that landmass and, and they changed all of the old languages into something that people can't really contract with. And some of the things that they did is to give us some syllables that we could begin to contract with, but other syllables had meanings in other languages that bring it into a negative state of being. And one of the rules that brings a, a syllable into a negative state of being is when we use it as a prefix, and that syllable, the word starts off with a vowel followed by two consonants. So in between the two consonants is typically where we're finding that syllabic break, okay? So like the words uh, that were just put in, illusion. So when we look at that I-L-L, ill, the syllabic breaks that ill, and then there's illusion. Well, illusion is, is a luminous thing, dealing with light to, to illuminate something or to illuminate something. A lumen was, was a, a unit that was used in measurement before. How many lumens is something? Exactly, illusion, we see that. But when we put a vowel and another consonant in front of another consonant, it brings the remaining part of the word into a negative state of being. So it, it basically, like the word, Illusion means no illusion. At turny means no turny. So in looking at that, I'm just trying to look for one particular structure I had here. Sorry, I was flicking onto another file. Um, like ab, absent, for instance. The prefix ab, ab, means away or from. So if something is apart from something else, it's not connected. There's no real joinder in the thought form of the word. So uh, the, the syllable or the prefix an, like anarchy, okay? It means without, but that's not a vowel followed by two syllables. It just means no archy. When it's a vowel followed by two syllables, it's completely in a no contact and no contract word sense. Like, um, I think I forget if it, annihilate. Nihilation is the root word of that. Um, you know, lots of different things to come on. I don't, I don't have a full dictionary inside of my head, but absence, as we have there, is no sense. It's AB, is a lack of sense. It's away from sense. So, and uh, op, yeah, good one. Opposition. We have some coming in, the OPP. 
And when you're looking at those things, they're all bringing stuff into a negative state of being. You can look this stuff up online too. You can get all kinds of um, neat little things. I just I just uh, did a search in DuckDuckGo to, to find you know, breaking down words into parts. And I found all kinds of cool little things in there about what these prefixes mean. And uh, there are some really good ones that we can use, for instance, which bring things together, like, like the prefix com, C-O-M, or the prefix con, like as in contract. Okay, why are some good to use and some are not? Well, it depends on the original meaning of those that were put together and how the English language was constructed or how language in general was constructed. No matter which language it is, we find that these types of things occur all over the place in each language. So com and con, those two things mean together or with, okay? Co means with and bio, like, you know, life. Uh, it, we have all kinds of different things that we can contract with, but things that we can't, like X, X or size. I don't know what an earth size is, okay? But I know like an X wife, an X spouse, okay? That could be a good thing for someone it's still in a negative state of being. There's no longer a spouse, you know. So, and then we can move on to, uh, there are other prefixes, of course, and, and we have a list of those prefixes, but just to quickly identify those, those negative state contracts is vowel followed by two syllables. That's one of the rules. Another yeah, vowel rule, followed by yeah, two consonants, right? right? Yeah, right. yeah, right. exactly. The vowel followed by two consonants in any word structure it means that first vowel and the first consonant bring the rest of the word to a negative state of being. Yep, so think about that. Yep, so think you're, about that. you're looking at your looking at insurance, your insurance, no insurance, your no attorney, and the no illusion or no light. You really start to see it. Um, we have a question that I think is a good time to, to take this one, Paul. It's Roberto is asking, is there a dictionary or document that would help us understanding and identifying prefixes in words? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Well, it, it, when I teach syntax, and I believe all the syntax teachers also have a, a similar list, that there's, um, we have an adverbs list that kind of, not just an adverbs list, but we have lists, various lists of different types of words, including adverbs and no contract adverbs plus a list of no contract prefixes and contractable prefixes. So some things that we can use, some things that we can't use. And we keep that. Now, is there something online that tells you that? Well, you, like I said, you can pretty much just search out all kinds of things. I just did a search like about a week ago or so, and I came up with just this one tool uh, that says word anatomy, breaking down words into parts. And so, that's what it does. And it talks about the prefix, the meaning, and what it goes into, and that other kind of stuff, and saying what the prefix is, what the root is, and what the suffix is. So, yeah, there are things out there. And when we look at it, incorrect grammar, we don't use words that bring things into a negative state of being. And we don't recognize or cognize expressions that have a negative value, such as no parking. Well, no parking means, okay, so what, what does no parking look like? I know what parking looks like. Okay, I know what elephants look like too, but I don't know what a no parking looks like, like I don't know what a no elephant looks like. So the concept is a negative state, which is supposed to bring in a void, no parking. But when you use these similar types of concepts in contracts, and we use the negative state of being, what we're saying is, when we're saying stuff like division, okay? Yes, there's duality and division, but DI is another one of those things, meaning no or against, against vision. So we're not seeing when we're saying division, there's no vision. So we, if we want to see something and we're saying, we're seeing a division in the masses, we're saying we're, we're seeing no vision. We're doing double negatives and double entendres and all these other kinds of things, and we don't even know it. So, you know, if you talk about spirit, and, and I've heard it said so many times, when you want to create or manifest something, you use positive expressions, okay? You don't say, don't smoke is a negative impression, right? You, you, you want to say something like, 
breathing fresh air. You want to get those positive concepts going, not the negative concepts. Instead of telling the universe what you don't want, because it doesn't hear what you don't, it doesn't hear the don'ts, it only hears the do's, it hears the positive things, and it puts that into a vibration. And then we manifest that vibration, whether we comprehend it or not. So from the get-go, from the element of spirit, we create everything is created in spirit before it's created in reality because we start with thoughts. And when our thought forms are bastardized and put down into contract in another way, that just opens it all up again to subjective interpretation, sending us back into the courts and back into the fiction for somebody who knows the games to come out and say, well, you got to pay me because I'm going to make a decision you're not going to like. A decision about division. <laughs> it's interesting, it's interesting. When you think about thoughts and vibrations and how the, the the negative connotation or these no contract words at the vibration that they that they permeate when they come out or when you read them. And I think there is a difference um, when you do read the claim of the life, for example, and you start to even read out loud in the quantum, there is an energy shift and a vibrational shift in the verb of the thinking and the structure, as well as the positivity and the, the, um, the lack of, there's no, no contract <laughs> words in the, in the quantum grammar. So think about the, the vibration or the energy that's put into that positive contract context and our, and what that has, what impact that has on our lives. Um, nice. um yeah, well said. I have a, a question. This might be a bit tricky. I was trying to think of what the what the good um, what a good response would be. But someone was asking in the chat and trying to find where it was if if um, com is a good prefix. And then I was thinking, how do we know if we have a good prefix? Do you have any thoughts on that? Or, or could we could we generalize and say prefixes are bad for are the majority? Bad. Well, prefixes that take things out of time, uh, prefixes that, like the word prefix itself, means we're pre. They want you to think that something happens before, or we're going to join something before it, or at the beginning of something. So we fix something at the beginning. That's a prefix. But so, how can we tell? Well, we have a list of certain things. The lists are easier to break it down because oh, there are, if we have prefixes that, that bring something to a smaller component, like sub, for instance, submarine means below the water, but a subparticle means a smaller particle. Well, if we, if we have something big and we're breaking it down to even further, it's not its smallest possible component. So as long as we can still break things down, we haven't come down to a root of something yet, and that's true. But but does do the prefixes enhance the root word? So, like for instance, co, com, and con. Not neither of those or none of those are a vowel followed by two consonants. So when those prefixes were being created, those yeah, the etymology exactly. The etymology is that which is fixed. Okay, so sure. So. When we're looking at the etymology and, and the meaning, the original, the way those, those sounds were created, okay? So I'm talking about ancient languages before English, before a lot of the languages we're speaking now. You know, in the ancient days, the words were used for the thing that they wanted to create and the vibration matched it. So when you spoke that word, you were speaking the living thing. And you're speaking the living thing into existence. How do you speak something into non-existence? Okay. So, so can we create something that doesn't exist? Can we create something that causes something to not be there? Well, we have a couple of words for that. We have words like lack. It lacks um, thought. Um, we're looking at a void or a vacuum. So these, these can connotate various different things. But yeah, so when we're looking at, and good, good, we've got om, A-U-M, we have A-U for gold. These prefixes can be, can be good things, like authority begins with A-U. Well, that's as good as gold when you're writing a contract to be the authority over something. 
know? So we're seeing so many different words that, that create thought forms, but we want to stay away from the ones that create a lack of a thought form. So that's where those general rules were, came out into being because any word that starts with a vowel followed by two consonants has been bastardized. It's, it's one of those rules that we can use to immediately discern that. Others, we're going to have to kind of memorize, use a little bit of memory work, but also another type of word or prefix that causes a word to go to a negative state of being is a single vowel syllable at the beginning of it. And like the word amoral and the word immoral. So amoral means against morals and immoral means without morals. So no matter what, we're seeing a lack of the morals. So we could just say that in different ways. This person has a lack of the morals. This one is with a lack, uh, uh, morals hyphen lack. And we can say that in multiple ways where we create the thought of something that is not there without actually using a negatively connotated word. So, you know, um, like illusion, but um, irate, I-R-A-T-E, irate, I'm irate, which means I don't rate. There's no rating, there's no rate, which means what you're saying isn't meaning anything. They're irate. And if you think about the meaning of the word, what they're saying typically when someone is irate is their words aren't rating to have meaning. They don't rate as a meaning. So sometimes it's true what we're saying, but we don't really even comprehend the lack that we're imparting. I know it's funny. Lucy made a comment. There are so many no contract words. It's hard to find the factual words. It can be. Speak in the truth, Lucy. Speak in the truth, Lucy. Yeah. We did have a question, Robert. Sounds like the chief emailed you today about your claim of the life. It's on its way. Yay. That's so exciting. Um, you're, he's asking if he has to wait physically um, to receive it physically before beginning syntax training. And you do not. So I would say um, I'll go ahead and post a link in the chat here in a minute, Robert, to guide you down the path of finding the right syntax tutor. And there's, there's a lot of aid out there and good helpers, including our wonderful guest tonight, Colin Paul, hyphen Douglas Colin Jubinville. So Paul, you can tell us about that here shortly. I wanted to get into one more sample if, if we're still up for it tonight in the um, no contract phrases. And that formula is, these are the two main ones. Um, we already talked about uh, the vowel and two consonants. Now we're gonna talk about the vowel single syllable. So samples would be along, again, opinion, um, but you get the idea. It's just the one vowel syllable there. And so these two formulas will help you. I think those are the majority of what we see out there. Um, so Paul, anything you'd like to add on the single syllable, vowel single syllable combo? Yeah, it, totally. It's still follows the same kind of construct, of course, bringing things to a negative state, um, into a lacking state. But it's just the five vowels, A, E, I, O, or U, when they have that sapping at the beginning. And it's we have to comprehend, it's not the sound that the vowel makes, as in the word amoral, okay? It could be a long-sounding vowel, like A, saying its own name, or it could be a soft-sounding vowel like ah, as in the word about. Okay, so amoral and about. Sometimes earlier syntax students or newer syntax people or new postmasters get a little confused. Well, it doesn't sound like a. Well, no, it doesn't have to. All it has to do is be a syllable all on its own. So when you do that sounding alone, thank you, Annette, for that sample. So you do that alone yeah and again for sure they're soft agreement even better you know agreement we think that we're actually getting into contract we're not invoice yes good sample no voice You're, you've lost your voice when you send an invoice i'm not speaking anything with an invoice you know so really great samples everybody's young you're really sharp putting stuff in and, and uh, that sounds great everybody's learning along so and 
there's also, of course, the, the ones that take it out of time. But I'll let you continue on with this one if you'd like, Jessica. Yeah, thank you. And I do want to stop and correct, um, Robert. You do need your claim of the life back in your hands to make sure you're going to send a copy of your claim of the life to um, the Syntax Learning Center, for example, or with Paul and his course or the other um, tutors. Um, what I was thinking of is if you wanted to begin the, the journey of which which syntax tutor would be the right one for you, you are you do have access to the website. It is on the public for the claim of the life.com website. So you can begin to look at who those authorized tutors are and make contact. Um, but you will need to send in your claim of the life, a copy of your claim of the life, for example, to get started on that. So I wanted to correct myself on that, Robert. Hopefully that helps. And going back to what we were saying, guys, with the vowel single syllable. So keep in mind as you're writing or reading or out in the world these these formulas, and then you know you're you're what are you really saying when you're saying what you're saying? <laughs> uh, words like agreement. That's one that I use a lot. So I put together some samples, and I'd love to hear from all of you. Um, of what some of these no contract words, what the what the, the opposite of that would be, there's another no contract word. But as we're thinking of the word agreement, for sample, and you, you start to say concur or concurrence. So I'd like to start to talk about um, what are some of the positive samples that we can use in lieu of the no contract. So sample, example, a sample, and um, agreement, concurrence. Um, discuss, brainstorm. So I would love for you guys to give me some thoughts. Um, I'll type these in here so you can see them. And what are some of the no contract words that we use all the time that you're beginning to swap out um, for the more positive, more positive choice? Option, I was just saying that too, option is choice. Um, agreement, concurrence, or concur. Any other ideas from the audience? Would love to see what your what you what your brain. If you're trying to rewire your brain, as I am, um, another one to allude. You could use mention or to signal. Hint, become a walking dictionary almost, a walking thesaurus. <laughs> so allude is another one. Anyone else have any ideas? Oh. Usury, that's a good one. Joinder is one that comes to mind with that one. Regard, consider, that's a good one. Amazing, that's a good one. Although I love the sound of amazing. What does that mean when you say, when you break it down? <laughs> We're really playing catch up to the countless hours, you know, that Chief has studied and learned all of this before all of us. Um, so I hope that you were able to take some tips and to begin to think on how to cognize, uh, how to train your brain and to just begin to see that illusion all around us those no contract words and how you can swap out uh, the negative and the no contract words in your life and see if it makes a difference for you. Try out these, these um, positive volition words or um, the positive contract words that we use in the venue and see if you can feel a difference or if you can see a difference in, in your communications or in the folks that you're communicating with, whether it's at work or at home with family and friends. Um, but yeah, what's a good one? We have a question here from uh, Rion hyphen Donald Colin Harmon. What's a good one for professional or expert? Uh, that's a good one. Paul, do you have any thoughts on that one for professional or expert? Jessica. <laughs> there you go. That's it. You're professional. Yes, there you go. Master. It's the best one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's funny. So I just got what so you meant. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know what? <clears throat> thesaurus. A thesaurus is one of my best buddies when I'm writing contract, to be honest with you. I don't use dictionaries very much, 
but you're right. Like we have been trained so, so much to think in these negative states of mind, you know, that it, it's constant. I find that I'm just so cynical about things that I'm not even trying to be, you know, it's just, it's all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's great. I just, seriously, there's just so many different words that come out that uh, people ask me all the time. One thing that I do try to stay away from um, is the, the words that could have different prefixes. And when we as postmasters, we have a tendency to pull the prefix off and just use the rest of the word. Like as in, let's follow the instructions. Well, a lot of us say instructions, instruction. Let's look at the instructions. Well, is that, are you meaning instruction, destruction, construction? abstraction you see how many different forms of that word there could be and how many different connotations negative connotations there are when we put different prefixes in front of it it gives us a different picture in our head but instead of instructions we might want to say list of the steps sequence of the steps something like that it might not necessarily be just one word but it might be a phrase that we're looking for as well that might be helpful. That's a people. good one, Paul, because recovery is in our contracts. Is it recovery? Is it discovery? So recovery is another one. That's that's a, that's one that you get to look for. Um, right. And so when we look at recovery and closure and different types of things, so disclosure. So closure is pretty cool because there's not many other prefixes that fit onto that to cause it to have a different form inside, different thought form. Right. But you try it. Just say a word like um, like I just said, and then just take the prefix off and then use all the other prefixes on it and see how many di different types of bastardized or weird words you can come up with just using that same root. And then you'll see how many different reasons why people kind of go to war or argue or need a third party. To, to read over their contracts. I mean, in this venue, we say never work alone, which which is great. You know, truly, I don't work alone in writing contract. I have other postmasters check it out, the knowledgeable ones. But, you know, then there's autographing and stuff. So, you know, pair up, find out where you're at. You know, this is, this is fantastic to be able to be not just working together online, but working together in each other's homes and being be able to autograph for each other and be there for each other in support ways or to be, you know, somebody gets hauled off or dragged into court or something like that. You know, I don't suggest people go to court, but support them in some way, shape or form, morally, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm reading through here as well, trying to keep up with all of these all of the comments that are coming in. I'm going to paste in the chat for everyone um, where you can find the authorized um, syntax resources, sources for you, including Paul and Robert. This might be of, of help to you here. So on this link are the authorized teachers and sources for you to learn to syntax and have a lot of fun learning about parse the vowel consonant consonant, the vowel single syllable, and other no contract words. You'll see that once you start to learn the syntax, then your eyes really are trained to see those no contract prefixes and the past tense and future tense um, that's that's in our contracts. So take a look there. And Paul, I don't know if you if you have a link that you'd like to share of other resources, please do. Um, you can share it right now in the chat if you'd like and we can have people get access to that resource. And I'm gonna go through here and just look through some of the queries. Sure, so I just tossed in uh, my website in there, www.forthehomestead.com. Awesome, thanks for that thumbs up. So that will bring you over to my website, it gives you a little bit of a flow with some of the other um, resources, the other sources, the other knowledge sources that we have in the venue. I'm trying to, uh, I, I got to put the cheese Patreon on there. I forgot to put that on, but links to Postmasters Basics here and different other things. Um, of course, for the Claim of the Life website, the Last Flag Standing website, 
Um, I'm on as the authorized teacher on both of those websites. My email, I have several email uh, locations, but the one that you will find on uh, a couple of them on ForTheOmstead.com is for the support at ForTheOmstead.com. And then uh, for your support at ForThePhoenix.com. And I created a different website. I'm kind of working on that in the meantime with my, with my syntax school on that. It'll be a login sort of a thing. Right now, I'm just running it off of YouTube videos for the time being until I get the security put up. But I've been working on that on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, I should have something up again in the next couple of weeks for a whole lot of people to sign into. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be ready for large classes. I'm, I'm finishing up with uh, the, my first segment of class, uh, larger class, so kind of working them through their syntax. I shouldn't say finishing up, but working along with them, uh, you know, so finishing up the, the course so that they can get right into working it and um, just kind of making sure that um, that things are comprehensible. So that sounds good. Looking forward to that. Up. Yeah, it's going to be up and running like within the next week. It's going to be up and available for folks to, to be able to sign on to. And like you said, you know, we got to make sure that your life claimants, we you, you got to have your life claim back. Um, you know, there will be contracts, things like that. We'll work out the details. And, I'll let you know as that goes along. I'll go through the chat here. So Colin Brett hyphen Michael Colin Carpenter says, I use the, thesaur the thesaurus <laughs> um, on average 10 times a day. So do I, Brett. I'm right there with you. And I will switch out thesauris or thesauruses. Um, I'll look at different versions till I get the word that I like. Because sometimes that word leads to another word that leads to another word. Because there's one no contract word after the other in, the, in these thesauruses that we're looking at. Um, I did see some comments here from Carmen. Hi, Carmen and Terry. Um, Colin Carmen, Colin Clauser, um, and Terry um, looking at stamps. So just keep in mind a memory reminder, the whole dollar stamps. So if you go to the USPS website and buy $1 stamps. They have that face. I, I can't remember the image of the green. It looks like a Native American face. Those are globally acceptable. Um, so you're able to get stamps online, get them shipped to your house. You can use those, uh, those whole dollar. You can use the American stamps. So I wouldn't, I'd, I hope you got closure on that. You could buy those online if your post office does not have them. Um, some other great comments in here, Paul. Um, good morning to Great Rising. And I think we covered all the queries in here. Don't see any other. Let's see. Um, we, do um, we do have a question from Joy. From Joy. Can the Learning Center sell authorized small pamphlets or important to know terms, phrases, prefixes, or laminated pages of keywords? to raise funds. I'm not sure what you're asking there, but when you do work with Paul or another authorized syntax tutor, you do get some um, some documents and some learning, a lot of documents and learning tools to help you. Paul, if you'd like to add to that, you feel free. Yeah, definitely. I think there's like 10 or 11 attachments. <laughs> so files. There's 10 or 11 source files that one can look at uh, that will come along with the course. Much of it has been used for a lot of years, but I've actually turned everything that was fiction into quantum or put those things that need to be read in the fiction into various other formats to help teach people what's wrong with those formats. Like I'll put something in italics, which can't be seen. It's not on the page. It's necromancy. Or I'll put some writing in a box because it's art. When you put a, put a box around words, it's in a frame and you hang it on the wall and you call it art. Yeah. So, you know, the, these types of things, you, you get to have uh, most of the, the uh, like all the words that we've used, all the prefixes we've talked about, um, adverbs, there's a large adverbs list as well that goes along with that. So you're not left alone for sure. In my course, you're going to get to speak to me. I, I've been trying to see how well the recorded version works, but I will be coming up with a larger community base when I'm, when I'm in the website and having weekly meetings as well so that people can join in and start asking me questions more direct and get a bit more of my time direct as well. 
and that kind of stuff. I hope that'll be helpful for people, you know, getting all of the uh, the course material and things like that, that they get to carry around with them. Of course, you're not allowed to share my videos or things like that. Not allowed to share any of the syntax teachers stuff. It's it's proprietary knowledge. It, it all belongs, you know, rightfully so. It, it, it's all the chiefs. It belongs in the venue, but we're authorized to use it and teach it. Each of the life claimants are authorized to use it, but you have to use it the correct way. That's what we're authorized for, is using things correct. Thank you for that, Paul. Are there any last call, any other queries? And that sounds wonderful. Looking forward to seeing that. Um, so many wonderful resources, everyone. Sources. <laughs> uh, you keep catching yourself in the re, uh, using that re, no contract. But wonderful sources out there for all of you in the venue to learn syntaxing. I promise you it's fun, challenging. But once you learn it, it's a skill that you will be so thankful for. Um, and, you know, combining that with the learning of the quantum grammar and the position loyal fact and the, the correctness in the in the grammatical parts and how to identify all of that and learning the, the quantum grammar basics is going to really make you a sharp sovereign to tackle that fiction and put the postmaster mechanics in there together. And it's a wonderful combination. So um, let's see if we have any last questions. I don't think we have any that we haven't covered. If you see any in there, Paul, speak now if you would, but I think we covered all of our questions tonight. Yeah, I, I can't really see any. And if anybody wants to say, hey, you missed my question, please say so. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, that's it. We will wrap up for this evening. And I will post the audio save here in the chat. Much gratitude to all of you. It's been an honor. Is, there's one point I would like to make. The folks in Canada, here's the deal. Um, I did a show with, when the Red Thumb Club was together. And many of you won't know what that is. But it, we were doing some teaching and stuff through a different um, format some time back and we put up a, a uh, those Canadian doe and walrus stamps online. And as soon as we did that, and I started showing all of our students how to get them, I guess there was some kind of a uh, rush on them <laughs> and Canada stopped selling them on their online location just a couple of weeks after that. I hope we didn't instigate that. However, what I did do is I went to visit my mom in my hometown a little hole in the wall town, population 20,000, about 10,000 in there. And I walked into the post office just because my mom had a doctor's appointment next door. I brought her to it. And I thought, for shits and giggles, I'm going to walk into this post office and see. The lady there had 13 sheets. I didn't know that. So like a joke, I said, she says, how many do you want? I says, oh, my goodness. If you had 10, it would be a miracle. She says, oh, let me go check. She says, okay, I got 13. My jaw dropped. I said, give me all 10. <laughs> she wanted to keep some for herself. My tip is. If you're in a big city, travel to a small town. Give them a call first. Ask them if they have any. In the smaller post offices, chances are fair they will. And sometimes, because they're pretty stamps, the posties there will get them as arts and crafts. So that's what she says around Christmas time. Well, they're pretty stamps, so I use them for different things like that. So you may be able to find a Christmas rush on them, okay? Smaller towns, give them a call. Try it out. That's what I did. <laughs> I'm stamp wealthy now. I love that tip. All right, everyone, much gratitude and love. Thank you all for joining us this evening and have a good week. Thanks, everyone.